According to Tom Rayner, the majority of Protestant churches in America average 10 or less salvations a year. Let's change the stat. Welcome to GoCast, a podcast designed to inspire and equip pastors and leaders to lead soul-winning churches. We have a mission to go and make disciples. This is GoCast. Hey everyone, welcome to GoCast. I'm your host, Kelly Stickle, joined by my friend and co-host, Tim Tribble. How are you today? Oh man, I'm good. This is going to be awesome. This is so good. This is going to be a great conversation. I'm so excited to get to it. It's a conversation with my friend, uh, Pastor Josh Bingle. He pastors in Spokane, Washington. And this this conversation, I think, will I I, I think you're going to love it. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we dive into is this whole idea of well, when the pandemic's over, are we going to return back to normal? I think that's something we've all thought felt all the rest of it what's gonna what's gonna what are we gonna keep what's gonna go away we dive into that in in heavy detail and i think uh you're going to be surprised by uh, pastor josh's answers but fascinated and i think there's something that's going to resonate with you as well so let's talk about the where, what's <laughs> what's life gonna look like tim when we get back to normal i honestly uh if I were to be completely honest, I would prefer not to go back to normal. I think COVID has forced us to gain a new perspective on what really matters. And uh, if I were to look back on my normal, there was a lot of stuff that I was overlooking for the sake of minute goals. So uh, I hope that when we come out of COVID, that as church, individuals, we all have a, a fresher perspective on life and more of a drive to to push for the things that matter. Man, I think that's fascinating. I think it. I would have to say I'm in the same boat. I think there's what COVID has created in me is this the reevaluation of what's most important mm-hmm. and understanding and priorities and realizing that pre-COVID priorities, you know, were probably misaligned in a yeah. lot of ways in some things and some, you know, things that we need to get back uh, to. So I don't know if I want to go back to the same priorities the same way before but what about the church that's what we want to dive in today with mm-hmm. pastor josh and what do we need to do as a church to prepare for what is next and this is a fascinating conversation enlightening that i think is going to be really beneficial and helpful to all of you so without further ado let's go to my conversation now with pastor josh bingo Well, hey, Josh, welcome back to GoCast, one of my favorite people on the planet. Uh, so good oh, to see you, time. my friend. Hey, man, it's good to see you, too. We're separated by a border, but I can feel your heartbeat. Yeah, well, that, yeah, that, that, that separation, oh, it, we're say. only like, what, five, six hours away apart? Yeah. But that, that's, yeah. that five, six hours is, is like almost an eternity because we're locked, like we're locked in our own countries. We can't even get across. I know, yeah. Someday soon. Soon and very soon. Soon and very soon. All right, so speaking about, how have you and and your church in particular been doing in this crazy COVID season? Oh, man, we've uh, learned a lot, that's for sure. Um, Learned a lot about ourselves and learned a lot about my own leadership and the gaps in it. And man, our church has gotten closer. It's gotten smaller, probably like most churches, but gotten closer. And um, yeah, it just, it was a really intense learning season that made us a lot better. Um, I think that seasons like that tend to do that if you let them. Um, So we're better. So what's, what's the, what's the biggest lesson or one of the biggest lessons that you've learned as a pastor leader? Because of all this? Uh, I think the biggest lesson I learned is how, how poorly I led our people into like, the the fundamentals of our faith like the creeds Mm. and um you know i think in an effort to like cast a wide net um i probably wasn't as as doctrinally clear as i could have been what i've learned in our approach going forward is here's here's our doctrine here's what we believe and we have we allow you to grow into that rather than than saying Hey man, we love you. You're awesome. God is good. Like I have my doctrinal beliefs. You can have yours. Um, but to really clearly just state who we are, my fear in doing that before was like, well, I don't want to exclude people. What if they're this? And what if they can't agree? And right. so then we just were unclear. And I think, you know, what I've learned in our strategy moving forward is here's who we are with clarity. And there's 
room and time for you to grow into that. But I want to make sure you're growing into this, who we are, and not growing into something else entirely, which is what we got. And that's what um, kind of hammered a lot of churches over the last 12 months. Is that's so we allowed true. people to grow, but we didn't set the mold for what we wanted them to grow into. So good. And so they grew into something, and then we had big problems to deal with. <laughs> that's so true. I, I mean, that's it's funny enough that you would say that. Not surprising because we t tend to track in the same way. And whenever we get together and have conversations, we're like, yeah, you were going through that yeah. too. But for me as well, like I, in, in a very similar fashion, I thought, man, we, I did a really poor job as a pastor preparing our people for crisis. And, and for me, I felt yeah. the same thing. I felt the same pressure going, ooh, the foundations aren't as strong. And, and you watch people waver when you're going, why are they wavering? Well, because we didn't do an effective enough job on anchoring them on the foundations and building their lives on the rock, which, yeah, Jesus said, there's, there's yeah. some foundations here. Storms come. Guess what? We had a storm and yeah. the house shook. <laughs> yes. And isn't it weird to say that because both you and I, I think are biblically grounded churches. Yep. Like we preach the word from the word and our sermons are based in the text. And, and you would think that, oh my gosh, yeah, we're giving them the Bible. And we were, um, but there was just this, for me, this emphasis on fundamental first principles that I had just made assumptions about our people and about myself that I was building a house, like you said, building a house, helping build a house without having checked the foundation. I'm and glad you really said that because because a lot of people look at us because we're both soul winning churches. So a lot of people look at soul winning churches. Well, you know, of course you're going to be, you know, not a strong foundation because you're you're compromising the Bible. That's not the case. I mean, your church sure. is not doing that. I've I've heard you preach many times. You don't do that. I don't do that. We're like we're we're Bible based churches, but there's something more. And I think we're going to dig into that a little bit in in this yeah. conversation. Some of those foundations, uh, what's going on? But I'm I'm glad you brought that up. So, so what's been, okay, so this, that's a lesson you've learned. What's been the biggest challenge for you? Um, biggest challenge for me has been trying to discern what to keep and what to leave in the ashes of COVID. Mm. Um, what am I, I've had asked myself this question. Am I trying to revive something that God wants to leave dead? That like <laughs> God is glad that it's dead. It was part of part of our systems, part of our structures, part of my rhythms, part of my habits, that am I trying to revive it because it's comfortable? Am I trying to revive it because it's what I know? Or am I trying to revive it because it really is, or, or, or bring it back and stimulate it because it really is what the Holy Spirit is breathing into our church right now. Yeah. And like the text in Joshua chapter one, where we love to quote God telling Joshua, you know, that you're my guy and wherever you go, you're, wherever you set foot, I'm going to give you that land. But like before he starts that conversation, he says, Moses, my servant is dead. Yeah. Like there was just a finality to it. And that that Moses was dead. Moses's leadership, you know, his his downfalls, his shortcomings, all that. The people of Israel weren't dead. Joshua wasn't dead. They had to move forward, but God, I think, was prophetically declaring to Joshua what to leave in the wilderness. And, so good. And so I'm, I'm trying to discern. The biggest challenge is to discern what do we just leave? What died? It was good. Nothing. Moses was good, and Moses served a purpose in his season, but the season had changed. Yeah. And so I'm not trying to say what was bad. What did we do wrong? Even what was good, it was good, but it's dead. Yep. And what do we leave dead and what do we do moving forward has been, I think for me in leadership has been the biggest challenge. That's man. That's so good because yeah, I, I, I love how you brought out the, what is good is still, is still dead. Moses was good, but I mean, but God, mm -hmm. I mean, Joshua knew Moses wasn't there anymore, but yet God had to make that point uh, because they say we're yes. moving on. That was good. Moses's time was good, but this is a new season. And, and I think there's yeah. lots of stuff where we, we, what I'm hearing you say is there's lots of stuff that we did that was good, but we shouldn't yes. fight to go back to doing what was that we need to be focused on what is. Come on. Absolutely. So yep. good.
So, yeah. so I mean, and, COVID and has created the... this this camp, or like, or two camps. There's, you know, every church, I think, every pastor leader is dealing with these two camps. So you have, you have the one camp where saying COVID is just a hoax, it's it's not real, you know, all the rest of it, and it's government control that they're shutting us down, and all the rest of it. Then you got the other camp who uh, aren't coming back to church, you know, are, are afraid and saying, I'm not going to be with a group of people, and I, I'm, we got, we're not taking it serious enough. And both of these people mm-hmm. are typically in our churches and on our staffs. Yeah. So how have, how have you dealt with that tension? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think it's important for us to recognize that both of those extremes are the tiny minority with big, giant megaphones. Right. Um, I think most of the people in our churches are, um, they have a good head on their shoulders. The ones who, who get it and, and, and want to be in church and like, there's a healthy balance between recognizing that this is a real disease, but, but it's also a little, there's areas and things of it that are just completely overblown. I think that's where most people are at. Yeah. Those like those, the heavy the like outsized weight on the extremes, just shouting at each other. And we're going to get to this later. I know shouting at each other, you know, from their respective sides. Um, they, they actually, when it comes to the lives of like the people in our churches who want to be together and who are um, passionately pursuing Jesus. And I know that that looks a little different. You being in Alberta, us being in Washington state compared to our friends in Florida or, (laughs) you know, who the game is totally different there. Um, but kind of the way that we've, we've dealt with it is early on with our staff. Um, I just wanted to listen. I wanted to hear where people were at because, because based on their social media feeds and all that stuff, they're, they're, each person is living in a very different world so based on what the algorithm is feeding them and all this. So before I could be like, here's what we're going to do. Here's where we're going. I needed to know where everybody was at. Yeah. And so I wanted to kind of just listen. And then when we made decisions, I was pretty sure of the decision that I wanted to make, but I tried to ask as many questions as possible as I could specifically of our staff so that I could shepherd them to the decision that I wanted to make. I didn't want to impose. I didn't want to, even though our team is good enough to where if I would have said, I don't care, here's what we're doing, they would have done it. But that would have been a major withdrawal from that relational equity. Right, right. And I just didn't want to waste a withdrawal on something like that. I would rather be withdrawing on like some forward moving vision. Mm. Um, And so honestly, we haven't had tons of run-ins in our like we're in Washington state which is pretty like locked down com- comparatively yeah. um not it's not Alberta but it's you know it's, it's close it's, it's pretty much as close as you can <laughs> get for, for, yeah. um but we haven't had i i think people generally have their head on their shoulders and when it comes to the people that i am having to shepherd now i got to separate this from my social media feed cuz that's i don't i'm trying i'm trying to evangelize that world but not give it space in my heart right when it comes to the the people that I'm tasked with shepherding, I mean, I I feel blessed. Our our people have been great, and people with pre existing conditions or vulnerable populations or their work won't let them be in big gatherings. They're with us online, right. um, but I think for the most part, people have navigated it well, and um, I'm just trying to shepherd the people God put right in front of me and yeah, not so shepherd good. the internet. Well, you had mentioned uh, earlier that I mean, uh, the church isn't you know is not the same numbers as it was as it was, and I think that l- yeah. for the I mean, every pastor I've talked to is saying the same thing. We're not you know, the church is not you know numerically bigger than it was pre-COVID. All, like all of us are dealing with that. Um, and then the big question out of that is, are they all going to come back? And the truth is, probably not. But there's there's another reason you know you and I have had this conversation uh, multiple times in the last in the last year. But the, you know one of the there's another reason other than just COVID as to maybe why uh, Christians aren't coming back. And you've been digging into it a, a little bit, and and it's kind of propelled you into a, a line of thinking. So talk to us a little bit about um, critical theory, critical race theory. 
um, and yeah. and the craziness. What is our our world today, especially um, you know in the states, but here in Canada, I mean, we get it's it's here as well in in a big way. We yeah. basically we're I mean, the border is right now very wide, but it's very thin um, in, in in cultures. Hmm. So I mean, talk to us about critical theory, critical race theory, and why you think this is impacting, and and how do you think it's impacting the church? Yeah. Well, I think that's impacting it, not just even in people aren't coming back to church, but that people are abandoning their faith. And um, I mean, Christianity has a has a very clear view of the world. Like we all have worldviews. We all have like your worldview is a lens through which you interpret what's happening to you, what's happening in the news, what's happening in your life, how you interpret your circumstance. Um, how you how you um, navigate what you're feeling. Uh, all, you have a worldview. All of us have a worldview that helps us survive. It's like this survival mechanism for us to make sense of this crazy world that is full of um, good things, to be sure, and but it is also full of very unjust and awful and evil and heinous things. And so. We have a worldview that helps us interpret those things. And Christianity has given us a worldview. God has given us his vision for human flourishing. Um, that's N.T. Wright's language. And I love his language of God's vision for human flourishing. Yeah. Uh, because when we start getting into other worldviews and the predominant one um, is we, if we lay out the landscape of what we're navigating in our world, the predominant narrative, the pre- pre- predominant worldview other than Christianity would be this critical theorist worldview. Um, and at its core, it's, it is trying to help people flourish. Like it's trying to help people live their best life and to truly be themselves. Um, the, that's what I believe. I believe it. I, I'm charitable. I'm not the guy who's going to stand here and just shred people and slaughter them. People are not the enemy ideologies are false ideologies that that are pushed on um by dark the powers of darkness and the the principalities and rulers in high places those are the enemy people are not so on the front end like like your your friend who is in deconstruction is not the enemy like that person is somebody that needs to be loved and we you know you're a soul winning guy i'm a soul winning guy and we're about winning souls Mm. Uh, but a a historic Christian worldview is going to answer some questions and your worldview, any of them is going to answer some questions for you. Who are, who are we? Why are we here? What's our problem? What's the solution? And what's our highest moral aim? Like those are those, the answers to those questions are framing every decision of your life. Yep. Like decisions come from what you believe to be true at a core level. Right. And so answering those questions, who are we? Why are we here? What's our problem? What's the solution? And what's our highest moral aim? Any worldview is going to answer those questions. So in a historic Christian worldview, who are we? We're created beings. We are imagers of God yeah. and objects of his holy love. Yes. Like, so we are created. Our life is not our own, which means I am not in authority. I am not the end of my own life. I, I submit myself. I submit myself to the higher authority who is yes. the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm an imager of God, which means I was created to reflect him and represent him yes. on this earth. And I'm an object of his holy love. Like God loves me deeply, but it's a holy love. Um, it's not, it's not. Uh, like our culture's definition of love is don't kill my vibe. Yeah. Like that yeah. would be yeah. love. Oh, it's loving <laughs> to not, you know, harsh somebody's mellow or crush their vibe or, but Christian love is, you know, to will the highest good of another. Yeah. And that's the way God loves us with a holy love. Right. And, um, who that's, that's who we are. That's so good. And, a, a critical theorist worldview doesn't really have an answer for where we came from. It's very naturalist, humanist, and that has some ramifications wherein Christianity, my primary relationship is vertical. Yes. Between me and God, 
And that bleeds into my horizontal relationships. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. In any worldview that can't say where we come from is not even interested in that, the, then the primary relationships become lateral. Yeah. Does that make sense? Become, so true. Become with our peers. And so a critical theorist worldview um, predominantly sees people separated by and into groups vying for dominance and power specifically like oppressor and oppressed groups and so it separates the world that way whereas christianity we we see our primary relationship with god and then with people not by what separates us but by what unites us absolutely what what unites us what unites us is the fact that we are created in the image of god we were created, we are image bearers, and we're objects of his holy love. And so we come from a, a, a foundational place of unity, not disunity, not discord. Absolutely. Um, so yeah. so I, I'll stop you so right there I'm because I'm mean, shotgunning you right now, but stop me and ask questions. No, that's great. That is awesome. And and I'll stop you right there because because uh, you know, a lot of our listeners might not have heard or or understood uh, critical theory, and and we're not going to spend a lot of time on it. All that we know is right. that it is it it's a, the world's attempt to do what we are as Christians and and as as um, members of God's kingdom are called to do on this earth. Yes. And 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 here's the thing that I I this is why I wanted to talk with you about this because we've had this conversation. I know you're passionate about this. But our response to critical theory, and and even if we don't know what it yes. is and defining it, uh, our response as the church is is huge because I don't know I'm I'm seeing and I'm sure you are as well that our response is typically as as churchgoers is to push back or to react, and we're basically creating another version of critical theory on our own because we're saying, well, we're not, and I see this in the church all the time. We don't agree with them, so they're not welcome here. We're not a part of them, and and we're gonna we're not gonna hear from them. We're not gonna reach out to them. But the truth is, is you can't reach who you criticize. Like there's just there's just no possible way to do that. And we are all like you're saying yeah. as kingdom people, we're all part of not what separates, but we're all part of what unites. And that's and that's really the uh, the kingdom mindset. So I think as pastors and as leaders, this is this is a critical time, and I'm using that word in. <laughs> But this is a vital time for yeah. us as a church to respond, and this is this is forefront in our society, and we get lumped as churches into our own category or as Christians into our own category, and and then we stay yeah. in those own camp in that in that camp, and then we're not able to reach everyone that we're yeah. that we're supposed to reach. So so talk to us as pastors as leaders, like how are you addressing this? Um, yeah. this very real battle that we're in that's far more than a virus and far more tension than, than a virus is, is causing or masks are causing or, or all that. How do we as pastors address yeah. this and how are you addressing it in particular? It's a great question. And I'm, and I'm so glad we're going to spend the rest of our time here. Like how to, not, how do we define this stuff, but what do we do? Yeah. And, um, because you're right, we have a tendency and, and we're seeing it a lot in our culture to, to divide ourselves into groups and then scream at each other. And the, one of the ways that we are trying to help our church navigate this cultural moment, and this is such a burden in my heart, is to teach people how to disagree well. Yeah. You need people in your world that you disagree with. Um, Chesterton wrote an essay about the power of small towns. And he was attacking this notion that, you know, he was saying he was writing in England in the early 20th century. And he's he was talking about people who move from small towns to London to expand their world. Like they move to a big city to broaden their horizons. His argument was that actually when you move to a big city, um, you're actually shrinking your world because you can find 10 people who think exactly like you. Right. And now you just shrunk your world because there's nobody with a different opinion, nobody with a, with a different world. There's absolutely nobody different. So all you did, you moved to a bigger city, but you shrunk your world. He's talking about like the power of small towns where, and the power of loving your neighbor. And he said, you choose your home, but God chooses your neighbor. Hello, that'll preach. Yeah, no kidding. That 
the power of loving your neighbor is that you have to love somebody who's different than you. You don't get to choose who they are. I can choose my friends. I don't choose my neighbor. Jesus didn't say love your friends. And he didn't say love people. Like this is a weird soapbox for me. But when some people are like, love God, love people. Like I understand the sentiment. But Jesus said, love God and love your neighbor. People have an idea. Your neighbor is a person. So I can say I love people and never talk to my neighbor because I love people. But like neighboring is different. Yeah. So how do we disagree well? Like we have to do that. And Paul had a very clear theology of disagreement because what you know and what I know is that let's say somebody is steeped in a worldview that is not Christian. Let's say that they are so far off the deep end. They're a full on pagan, like just practicing the weirdest stuff. Jesus still died for them. Yep. And we are still called to go reach them. And God, God's great church come on, Pastor Kevin Gerald, is plan A and there yes. is no plan B. Yes. And we cannot abdicate our responsibility and our calling as ambassadors of reconciliation because we disagree with people. Right. So let's talk about how to disagree well. Like, let's take a moment. And because Paul, when he disagreed, he had a very clear theology when you disagree with non-believers and when you disagree with believers. He treated them very differently when there's disagreements in the church or there's disagreements in the world. So let's talk about disagreeing with the world. Because the question is, how do we navigate this? How do we navigate when we look into the world and we see things that are like, that ain't it, chief. Yep. No, that's not who God is. That's not it. What we tend to do in, in the church today when we are disagreeing with non-believers is we jump into people's comment section and we start arguments. And we don't invite people over for dinner, none of that stuff. So how did Paul disagree with non-believers? Acts chapter 17, yep. he, he comes into Athens. And scripture says that he is deeply moved in his spirit yep. by the idolatry, the idols that he saw. So he goes into Athens, non-believers. He's waiting for the rest of his crew to show up. And something grieves him deeply in his spirit. Mm-hmm. He knows that they're false gods. He knows that they cannot bring about the human flourishing that these people think that they can. They're gods of the harvest and they're gods of fertility and they're gods of war. They cannot bring about the human flourishing they desire. So he's, he's moved in his spirit. And the, the first thing he does, I love this, says, so he went to the synagogue. Yep. So he doesn't jump on Twitter and start talking about how terrible and godless Athens is and Athens needs to repent. Did Athens need to repent? Absolutely. 100%. Were they godless? Uh, They had false gods. 100%. And were influencing the rest of the world with godlessness. I mean, they were, they were, it was crazy influential, right? Athens was, was the epicenter. Yes. And then exporting that to the world when the church was brand new. But Paul, we could all take a great lesson from Paul on how to disagree well. He, the first place he goes is to the synagogue. Where is he going? To the place of spiritual authority. He's trying to get the spiritual temperature in the city. He's reasoning with the leaders in the synagogue, yep. trying to ask questions like, yo, how did we get here? What's, he's not just coming in, blowing up. I got all the answers. He starts reasoning in the synagogue. The next phrase, he's reasoning in the marketplace. So he's, he's reasoning, he's conversing, he's arguing. Like that's to argue. Now, arguing is not quarreling. Let's quote Chesterton again. I hate quarreling because it gets in the way of a good argument. Yeah. Arguing is Christian. Arguing is depersonalized. Arguing is charitable. Arguing is reasonable. Quarreling is emotional and it's personal and it's, it's highly manipulative. But, so he's, but he's reasoning and he's arguing. Then some Stoics and Etruscans hear him yep. and they're intrigued and they are, they invite him to the Areopagus, which yep. as you've mentioned, Athens is like the Areopagus in Athens is like Madison square garden. It's the place where the preeminent philosophers in the world come and debate philosophy. The whole city comes out, they sit around and they're listening to these great thinkers debate. But Paul, did not insert himself. This is a word. And and again, the question is, how do we address this divide? 
when we're seeing this counter worldview that's picking people off, how do we, how do we, how do we address it? What do we do? How do we lead our people in it? We have to recognize that we are disagreeing in a lot of ways with a worldly ideology. Yep. So he's invited to the Areopagus. It was an invite. He didn't slide into somebody's conversation. He gets invited. And when he gets there, think about what an invite that is. Yep. MSG prime time. This is like presidential debate, the, the influencers, the tastemakers. Yep. For the whole entire world, as you've said, they're exporting all this stuff from Athens, are there. And I love where Paul starts. Because what grieved him was ideology, or pardon me, um, idolatry. Yep. That's what grieved his spirit. Where does he start? Men of Athens, I perceive that in many ways you are religious. Yeah, he compliments them, isn't that? <laughs> what a bridge builder, and what a word to the church. Yeah. Men of Athens, I perceive in my conversations with people who are steeped in like um, in a, a critical theorist worldview and like deconstruction and all that, I want to let them know, hey, here's what I believe about you, that you you love people and you want them to flourish. Yes. That's what I perceive about you. You desire human flourishing. You desire for people to be free. Yes. You desire for people to be known and be loved and be celebrated. And that is a God-given thing on the inside of you. Yes. That's how I'm disagreeing with non-believers. That's how I'm disagreeing with people so who, good. and I would even say people in our church who are steeped in this, like this might be controversial. I don't know if they're believers. So I'm counting people in the church. Yep. Yep. And that might be a little controversial. Maybe you can edit that out, but. <laughs> oh, no, that's good. But when people who are, people who are in this. He says, men of Athens, I perceive that you are religious in every way. And he's, and then he tells them, I saw, when I was walking here, I saw a monument to the unknown God. Oh, man. I saw, I saw a monument, and I want to tell you about him. Yeah. And we are all his off. And he says, even as some of your own poets have said, we are all his offspring. And the poem that he's quoting is like maybe the most famous poem in Athens at the time. And it's actually talking about Zeus. Yeah. I, I, I like the poem so, so we, we quote it. I think there was a Christian song. I don't know if you had this growing up, but in him, we live and move and have our being, which is, yes. it's, that's the poem about Zeus. Him is, is Zeus. It's not, it's not, he's not talking about God or Jesus. Like he, he's like that your well, poets have said, and he's talking about Zeus, but he's like, Hey, let me tell you who really. <laughs> yeah. 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 So like, yeah, scripture does tell us in him, we live, move and have our being. Yep. And then he, he uses one of their poets to drive the point home as a bridge builder. Yep. It would be like you quoting a, a Jay-Z lyric in a sermon. And a lot, a lot of people, I don't know if Jay-Z is hot in the streets anymore. I'm from the nineties. So, but <laughs> it would be like, and there would be some people in our churches that will be upset that we would use something of, of the culture. But Paul was trying to build a bridge. And then where does he go? He goes straight to first principles. Yep. He starts talking about creation. Yep. He starts telling the story of who are they? Where did they come from? Why are they here? Yep. And then he gets to repentance. And he says, the day is now to repent because there is one God. He doesn't soft shoe it. He doesn't tiptoe. He gets to you. Y'all yep. need to repent, you heathens. Yep. But he started First principles, creation. Yep. Who are you? What are you even doing here? Why are you here? What's your purpose for living? And he's he is undermining any other ideology or worldview by getting back to first principles and it connects with the human heart. And so I'm trying to equip my people to disagree well and to understand, deeply understand first principles, foundational theology upon which they can build their life so this is fascinating because just let's just take creation for instance i mean creation has been under attack for for years and years and um you know in our our curriculums and all the rest of it and and undermining it and the devil knows the importance of of you know the foundations and, and creation so he'll wrote at that but it's fascinating and i'm, yeah. I'm challenged even as as a pastor as a preacher how little I talk or preach about creation or, or some, some mm. of those foundations that we just assume everybody's sure. got, or we assume, or, 
And we don't see the importance or the, how vital this is in anchoring people. Like I, I love how you brought this up in you know Paul's conversation in Athens, how he goes back to first principles. In particular, he goes back to creation, yes. right? And and how that that set up the foundation for him leading up to bringing Jesus in. Yeah, yeah, and he get. I mean, he just he t- keeps taking it back to first principles and. Philosophically, a first principle is something that cannot be proven. Yeah. That's that's what a first principle is. It's it's something that we believe. And so I can't prove that God created the heavens and the earth. But as a confessional Christian, I confess it and I believe it. Yes. And there are plenty of other things in non-Christian worldviews that are first principles that you just accept that you can't prove. Right. Like even, even people who would deny uh, uh, a, an intelligent design— and they would take a, what they would call a more scientific approach. There are still first principles that they believe that they can't prove. Yep. And so we just, it gets back to first, like a first principle. I cannot prove that Jesus was born of a virgin conceived by the Holy Spirit. I can't prove that. Right. But it's a first principle that we take on faith because God said that it was true. Yep. And so, and so getting them back to, and specifically the first principles of who who we are and where we came from, the human heart desires to know that stuff, longs to know. Like my son, he's four, and he loves hearing about when his mom was pregnant with him. Yeah. And he was, Dad, tell me about when I was born. I didn't have to tell him. I didn't have to ask him, do you want to know the story when you were born? He's like, Dad, tell me about when I was born. There's yeah. this longing in the human heart to know where are we from? What am I even doing here? Right. What's my purpose? And we offer that to people. But if we get caught up in second principle type things, specifically like, like you know, masks and COVID, and these are important conversations to have. We've got to remember those are second principles. Yep. And what we bring to the church are, or, or to the world as the church are life-giving first principles that answer life's deepest questions. That's what Dallas Willard said. The power of Jesus's preaching was not that he said, believe me or you're going to hell. Yep. The power of Jesus preaching was that he had the most compelling answers to life's deepest questions. And people came to the conclusion, I would be a fool if I didn't follow him. So good. So good. So this, compelling I mean, this is, answers to life's deepest questions. Yeah, this is so good. And, and, and so amazing. So I, so, I mean, you're, you're taking this on, uh, in a major way. I mean, you're writing, you're working on a curriculum and you're working on a book right now to, to, yes. to address a lot of these issues. So talk, talk to me about your approach and, and what, how you're, how you're tackling this and what you're doing. And so, I mean, we, yeah. I mean, I'm eager to read what you're, you're writing, but, um, and I think the church needs to hear this, but as pastors, talk to us about your approach, what you're doing and yeah, encourage us in yeah. teaching the same thing. Well, in the church, my approach, you know, how are, how we address it? Like there's three different arenas, my preaching in our discipleship and in our leadership development. Yeah. So in my preaching, I have to help people understand how I came to the conclusions that I came to. So I can't just assume that because the Bible says something or because I say something, people believe it. Right. Because people don't necessarily take the Bible as authoritative, even in our churches. So I've made a big emphasis in helping people understand how I came to the conclusions I came to. Even in my sermon, I might be walking them through. So I had this question. So I went and I studied this. And it led me here to this question. I'm trying to help them understand how I came to these conclusions. Right. So good. Um, that's in my preaching. My, in our discipleship, we've, we've talked about a lot returning to first principles. Salvation, surrender and self-denial, sin and enticement, the power of the Holy Spirit, your purpose, um, all that stuff. We're, we're trying to return there in our discipleship. Then leadership development. We're trying to give our leaders new lenses. And we're trying to help people spot leaders who have solid foundations. Yes. Yeah. Um, and not just like they're magnetic and they're great personalities and good communicators. That stuff's awesome. But I want to check the foundation before I just buy a really sexy house. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. It might have really bad foundation and leaky yep. foundation. So in our church, that's how we're doing it. Um, with the book and, and the, the curriculum and stuff, the, like I'm, I'm struck from the narrative between Mark 
chapter five and Mark chapter eight of when Jesus says, let's go to the other side. Mm. And so that's the working title for the book is the other side. And when Jesus, when he told the disciples, let's go to the other side, he's standing on the Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee. And on the other side was pagan territory. It's where the seven nations of Canaan settled after they were run out of the promised land. And it's the Decapolis, the 10 cities that are all pagan in the seven nations of Canaan. And so when Jesus says, let's go to the other side, that would have been astounding to a first century Jewish mind to hear a rabbi say, let's go over there and minister to them. And so when they get there, what do they run into? Like they leave all this ministry opportunity, sick people, crowds, multitudes, headlining conferences. They go to the other side of the lake, they meet one demon possessed guy. It seems so ridiculous. Why did we leave all that for this? Jesus heals him. The guy asks, can I come with you? Jesus says, no, I need you to stay here and go tell me everything I've done for you because they kicked Jesus out. Yep. He goes back to the other side of the lake, feeds 5,000 people, gets in the boat, goes like he's crisscrossing the lake over and over and over and over again. When he gets back to that side of the lake, there's a there's revival. From that one demon-possessed guy, there's revival. He does the same miracle, feeds 4,000 people. On the Jewish side, there were 12 baskets left over, 12 nations of Israel. On the the pagan side, there were seven baskets of bread left over, the seven nations of Canaan. Jesus screaming, I'm the bread of life for all mankind, not just you. And and, and, And so I think we've lost that in many areas of the church. We are more content to stand on our side of the lake and scream at the pagans so good whereas jesus crisscrossed the lake and he never compromised who he was so what i'm not saying is by going to the other side we compromise who we are no we have very clear lines very clear doctrine jesus had he was the perfect doctrine incarnate he was the the incarnate word of god but he recognized that there were people on the other side and he cannot we cannot just be the kind of people who stand on this side of our policy yep. and we love our policy more than we love mm. people. We have clear policy and clear doctrine, but there are, there are people on the other side of every doctrinal stand that we are called to go to. So good. And that's what I'm trying to navigate and pour into our people's hearts. And a lot of it has to do with how we disagree well, which is going to be a big piece of the treatment. So good. My goodness. That, that, that I can't wait to read that. I'm sure others are thinking the same thing, but that man, that is so good. And you think, you know, through that story and even still after Peter, having been on those journeys back and forth with Jesus and all the rest of it, man, he, he wrestled and fought and, and the early church is wrestling and fighting with which side do we go to and who do we go to? Yes. And you see that wrestling back and forth. And, and then there, and I'm going, man, we can't do anything. I love Acts 15, 19, but you know, James, brother Jesus, we yeah. can't do anything to, to, yeah. to make it difficult for the Gentiles at that or the other side at that time yes. to hear the gospel of yeah. Jesus is for everybody. And, uh, you know, yeah. that wrestling I think is in the, in the book of Acts is part of the reason why the book of Acts is, is there is for that very conversation and going, okay, this is not a gospel for for a few this is this is the good news for everyone and and i think in today's yes. world like in today's world and if anything with social media has proved anything with COVID has proved anything is that we're an ever dividing sides um and, and it's getting yes. worse and as what's the hope man it's supposed to be us like it's supposed to be yes, the gospel of jesus on. right it's supposed to be us so man i i love that you're you're t- this has been so good is bring us home what what what's one other thing that that man you want all of us to know as pastors as leaders that's just burning in your heart yes. right now and saying okay the, the future of the church we gotta we gotta do yeah we gotta do this yeah it's something that jesus says to the disciples um after he's performed some bread miracles yeah. and he says beware of the leaven of the pharisees and the herodians mm-hmm. and so what in my estimation what god is breathing into his church is people who are with non-believers 
gospel focused, gospel centric, who we we do not compromise God's standards and God's word. Yeah. But we also recognize that people are the mission. Yeah. We are we are ambassadors of reconciliation. And I think there's this tendency to think that if I'm a you you addressed it earlier, if I'm a soul winner, it's because I because I'm not I don't have clearly defined truth. And then people think because I have, you know, that having clearly defined truth and really knowing what the word of God says is enough. Well, no. They accuse Jesus of the same thing, you, right? So, you Pharisee. Yeah. Yes. And Jesus even tells the Pharisees, I'm taking the kingdom from you and giving it to those who will produce its fruit. Yeah. And what's the fruit of the kingdom? People. Yep. Like the Pharisees' doctrine was dialed. Yep. And and so we have to have dialed doctrine. Jesus had dialed doctrine, but he also recognized that there were people on, on the other side of all of that stuff. Yep. And so he did, when he went to people, when he went to the rich young ruler, when he went to the woman caught in adultery, when he went to Zacchaeus's house, when he went to eat with the sinners and tax collectors and the gluttons and the drunks, he was not compromising orthodoxy. He was not compromising who he was. And so when we go to those places, we have to be careful that we are not moving the line of orthodoxy in an effort to win people. So good. So that that is the, that would be the the don't fall for the, the leaven of the Pharisees or the Herodians. So just because I'm going and eating with sinners and tax collectors does not make me like Jesus. Right. So we cannot say, no, I'm more like Jesus than that guy. Right. Because he's mean and I hang out with non-believers. That does not make you more like Jesus. Because Jesus was still fully God. He was the Word of God incarnate. He did not compromise biblical standards. He did not compromise um uh, the law of God, the moral law of God as it was, he never compromised those things. But he also was not the Pharisees. Yep. And so I think what God is breathing into his church is people who go to the other side without compromising scripture, without compromising yep. the word of God. People who go to the other side and who reach people who desperately want to flourish and desperately want peace and desperately want joy. And God is sending strong and he's developing strong, biblically sound kingdom centered people who are after the fruit of the kingdom. And so, so if you're a pastor and you're listening, be that guy, be that woman, raise those people, biblically centered, strong theology, but with an eye to people who are on the other side of all of our doctrine. So, so good, man. This has been, this has been gold. This has been challenging. Thank you so much. When can we expect your book? Oh man, you know me and deadlines. No, <laughs> maybe you don't. Yeah. Hopefully soon. I'm writing it for my church and if it escapes, praise God. Um, well, I want it to escape. I, I want I want a copy when it's out, man. Okay. I, I want a copy and we'll, we'll share it. I'll write it for our churches. Yeah. And we can share that. Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. So good. This has been so good. And I mean, we just, we just skimmed the surface, but it, I mean, I, I love how you share your heart and you can, you can hear that. And, and those who aren't familiar with what critical theory is, look it up and it, and, but don't focus on that. Let's focus on kingdom um, and the kingdom yeah. of God. And, and there's that. a really, there's a really good book that I might point people to by Thaddeus Williams. It's called how, to confront injustice without compromising truth. Mm, all right. And it is a very, very, very good book. Say that again. What, what's the book? How to Confront Injustice Without Compromising Truth. So good. By Thaddeus Williams. He's a professor at Biola, I believe. Yeah, so good. And it is fantastic. Awesome, awesome. I love that. And that's what GoCast is all about, is resourcing pastors and continuing the conversation. So thanks so much, Josh, for this. Um, and I love you. Yeah, love you too, man. This has been awesome. I honor you. I honor your heart for people, all of the years that you've faithfully been in ministry, and we are praying for you and pulling for you. And I just, I know in the future of the church, like she's coming back so strong. Yes, she is. And even in some of the places where she's been held down the most. And so I'm believing for revival in Alberta 
and revival in Washington, Amen. and you cannot stop God's great church. Absolutely. And I think I absolutely I agree. That. The best is yet to come. Thanks so much, Josh. Bless you, man. It's been awesome. I, I got to tell you, these this season and these conversations are the content is amazing so deep yeah. so good so helpful so relevant um i don't know if it's blessing all of you but if the season's just been for me in these conversations i'm glad that you get to join join in but hopefully it's been helping you like it's been helping me what what stood out to you in this conversation Matt, I love hearing Josh speak. And every time that he just opens up and unleashes, he gives us a new perspective on the simple principles of of what our Christianity looks like. So the yeah. biggest takeaway I took from that was when he was talking about how scripture says, go and love your neighbors. The neighbors aren't just the people that you prefer. It's the, the literal person across the fence that you may or may not agree with. So having the maturity and the humility to be able to sit down and have a conversation. And he talks about the difference between um, an argument and a quarrel. And he uses a, a scripture or a quote yeah. by somebody that says, you know, I I hate quarreling because it ruins a good argument, right? And quarreling yeah, is where so you get your, your emotions involved, but an argument is where you're, you're able to humbly sit on both sides of the fence and and display your sides and, and hopefully find an agreement and understanding. I think it's fascinating that that whole idea of learning how to disagree, that we've somehow lost that art in our society mm-hmm. today and that the moment we disagree, we isolate ourselves into, into you know, different camps and we won't converse with somebody on the other side of the camp and yeah. i think there's a power in that i think the church needs to lead the way in that i'm challenged in that i hope you are as well we want to continue the conversation um not in quarrels um but we want to continue <laughs> the conversation with you if there's something that stood out to you we want to hear from you we're all mm-hmm. in this boat together and we are wanting to continue uh, conversing with you, not just broadcasting you, but we want you to be involved in the conversation. So how do people do that? Absolutely. You can reach us on social media. You can also go to www.gocast.ca for all the podcasts and blogs. And you can also reach us on all major podcast playing platforms. So we invite you to join us next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us for this episode of GoCast. We hope you feel inspired and better equipped to take your community for Christ. Make sure to subscribe to receive each new episode as it's released. Let's go and break the stat together.